This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, Keys to Life Success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Camera. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? Well, by the way, Alan, congratulations that Inside Public Accounting Magazine named your firm, Greenstein, Rogoff, Olson & Company, as one of the top 10 fastest-growing firms in the nation. So how about that? Uh, thank you, Nadine. It, it's quite an honor, but it's also a tribute to the individuals within the firm. Uh, you know, they're hard workers. We, we strive to do our very best in, in this, this world, and uh, it's not always easy, but it's good to see from the outside when, when you're recognized for these achievements. Yes. Very good, very good. So today's uh, today's show, we're having on Steve Siner. Steve's the managing partner of uh, Hoke Fenton. This is Silicon Valley uh, law firm. Uh, been around uh, for, for quite a while, over 50 years. And uh, he'll be giving us some insights about the state of the valley and, and things that individuals should be focused on today. We'll look forward to hearing from him soon. So before we get to that, I want to talk about uh, time. You know, life is different for everyone, uh, both old and young. But one thing that each of us is given equally every day is our time. We all have 24 hours in a day to use at our own discretion. And we make our lives accumulative of the outcome of how wisely do we use our time. You know, Nadine, when a person comes to me and they, 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 they tell me how busy they are, I'm like, but you have as much time as I have. So what does being busy mean? And, um, you know, I, 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 uh, you know I, I try to categorize that, you know, is, is busyness meaning that we're doing things that we don't necessarily want to do in life? Is it, is it out of obligation or is it out of choice? And, um, you know, I, I can share stories that, you know, I see on a, a, a daily basis. I, I work in a CPA firm, manager firm, and we have uh, roughly 2,000 clients or so. And, and so we see people at different stages of life. We, we see the, the, the young children and, and the people that are uh, middle-aged and, and, and then the people at their later stages of life. And, and we, we walk individuals through, uh, you know, through our relationships. We'll see them transition to, uh, to different stages and different events. And uh, with the finality of the, the death, there's, there's a built-in mortality for everyone. In fact, the National Geographic, uh, lightly, they said that they did a research study and they found that, uh, that there's nobody that is born to this world that will get off this, this earth alive. <laughs> Very true. So, it, you know, and, and then, you know, when, when you go six feet under, uh, you know, every problem that you have with your relationships, within your family, within, you know, the, the children, the arguments, um, none of that really seems to matter anymore. Uh, the wealth that you've generated in life, it all stays behind. And, and so, uh, you know, you look at this and you say, well, you know, what does matter? Um, and when you're looking at, uh, uh, you know, what, what's really important in life, it comes back to uh, if it isn't about the money, it has to be something more. You make an excellent point, Ellen. What do you suggest individuals do to use their time wisely here on Earth? Well, I think you work life backwards. 
Um, and, and try to learn from the generation ahead of you. I think every one of us should have a mentor, whether it be within our own individual family or someone that we highly respect that, that's working uh, you know, 20 years, you know, 30 years, and they, at least a generation ahead. And, and we ask them the question that uh, if you were me today, uh, what would you do? Um, I tell the story often about when um, my wife and I first got married. Uh, I picked up a Reader's Digest magazine. Just graduated from college, and, and uh, the, the relationship with my wife was getting serious. We were engaged um, at, at the time. And, and uh, this article talked about uh, an interview with uh, individuals sitting in a rest home. A lot of them were wheelchairs, invalids, in bed, and they, they asked these individuals in the interview, they said, well, if you could do it again in life, what would you do differently? And uh, the, the majority of respondents said, knowing what we know today, if we could do it again, if we had that opportunity, we would take more risks. We wouldn't be so afraid to venture out and do the things that uh, that 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 you know always intrigued us, uh, we wouldn't hold back because uh, we wouldn't be afraid to fail at something. Because knowing what we know now, as you get older, uh, all you really get is you get your experiences, both successes and failures, and um, and and so it was try new things. And so we talk about the wise use of time. You know, you work it backwards. Say, where would you like to end up? What would you like to be doing? So, where do you where do you suggest? How do we plan to prioritize? Is there a plan that we you suggest that we might do? Yeah, absolutely. It is a prioritization plan. What we have in in our room um, at home, my wife and I have a uh, what's called our family planning chart. And no, it's not with respect to, to birth control, but it's a, <laughs> it's a yeah, it, it, it's a vision for life where we want to end up. And we take the quadrant. We realize that if we're if we're too far to any one quadrant, uh, we'll get this busyness in mind because we're not balanced out. And you can have you know busyness in the area of spirituality. You can have busyness in the area of careers. You can have busyness in the area of, of families or even uh, personal management. So is your family planning chart somewhat of a goal planning chart for each individual in your family? It's it's actually it's it's for the it's for the parents as we govern the household. We run our household like a business. What is our vision? How do we balance out? At the beginning of every year, we, we call our family together, and, and uh, we have a, 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 a weekly program called Family Home Evening. And it's kind of like a family council uh, where we, we have everyone get together in a room. We'll have a short lesson, often with a spiritual nature, uh, but it also will teach an attribute of, of things that we as parents want to teach our children at home. But the beginning of the year is our planning. It's our annual planning uh, uh, you know, for the year. So we'll have things like family vacation, and we'll get the assignment to one of the kids. You know, tell us where we're going to go this year on a vacation, and they'll they'll take the assignment, and then we'll have other people that will 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 divvy up the uh, the responsibilities throughout the home. We may have a person take responsibilities, make sure that every week their responsibilities to make sure that our family is gathering. Uh, we try to have every day a family prayer, a scripture reading. We try to make a balance of life of the uh, the attributes that we want to instill within our children. And then 
we become accountable to that. So. How do you prioritize those goals with your busy goals of managing the firm at Groco? Well, you know, that's that's part of the quadrant that I have. One of them is in career. And, and one of the goals that I have is making sure that I balance work life and family life. And I realize that for all the work and effort that I put into the firm and the hours that are spent, I'm not going to go to my grave wishing I spent more hours at the office. Yes. It, it's, uh, it's something that... That it it's temporal in nature. It it's a uh, the, the firm is wonderful. Uh, it provides an opportunity for personal professional growth and, and development. Um, but it's not the end game. So so the chart that you create uh, is how do you designate? How do you know? Do you write down every activity that you do, and then how do you know you're top heavy on work, and you know not. Applying as much to well, family. Well, it, it, it's a bullet points. It's a list. It's saying these are the key attributes. So, you know, for example, in career and family, I may say that okay, one of my goals in in the firm is I want to have great relationships with the employees. I want to have uh, a balance of work life, and I uh, want to make sure that I'm instilling opportunities for people to develop. Um, I can move to another quadrant: personal management. I want to make sure I lose twenty pounds this year. Yeah, and and so I list that out, and then I evaluate at the end of the day how am I doing based on what I said I wanted to do. Well, writing down goals is very effective. In in my firm, Better Homes and Gardens, I had training where we had to use calendars with goals, and then we calendared out our day, and we take fifteen minutes the night before and calendar your day the next day, and you will be surprised if you write down every minute and you cover productive time versus family time. You would be surprised how much time in your day that you waste and you don't even realize until you really make yourself accountable by writing it down. So I think that's very important. Excellent. Accountability is a big a big attribute to uh, helping us get to where we want to in life. Well, Nadine, uh, look forward to having our guests on, Steve Siner and uh, managing partner of Hope Fenton. This is Alan Olson, America Dreams, Keys to Life Success. We'll be right back in just a moment. I'm here today with uh, Steve Siner. Steve is the managing partner of Hope Fenton, a Silicon Valley law firm with offices in San Jose and Pleasanton. And um, welcome to the show, Steve. Thank you. Great to be here. So, Steve, uh, as a Silicon Valley attorney, uh, first of all, how big is how big is Hope Fenton? Well, Hope Fenton has roughly 40 attorneys uh, spread in our two offices, primarily San Jose, and we also have a fully staffed office in Pleasanton. And can you give us a little background on the history of the firm, how you guys started up? Sure. Hogue started back in 1952, predates me a little bit, by the way. Uh, It started out, believe it or not, as an insurance defense firm. We represented a lot of insurance companies and did that for quite a number of years. But about 20 years ago, they did a substantial makeover, and now the firm is a civil litigation and business practice law firm with emphasis in real estate, state planning, uh, labor and employment law, tax planning, and then litigation in those various fields. Excellent. So I understand you also also work uh, personally with a lot of high net worth individuals. And that I do. So so what do you see happening in uh, Silicon Valley today? How, what, what's the state of the economy according to Steve? According to Steve, and you can uh, write this down in stone, according to Steve, the economy is actually in a state of flux. There are some segments of it, in my view, that are actually very robust. I'm seeing a lot of 
new engineering going on that's leading to lots of new opportunities in smaller startup-type companies. There's a lot of movement going in small real estate um, opportunities, not the big developments that we saw several years ago, but on the much smaller scale. And I'm seeing some businesses that have been, for the most part, somewhat stagnant, looking to expand, which is interesting when the economy for the last few years has been somewhat depressed. But I've seen some growth that, and, and anticipation of a change in the economy and a change, I think, in some of the tax laws has driven people to be somewhat proactive and to anticipate what they think is going to be some new opportunities. So based on what you see out there, the last three years has definitely created some type of a change. I would say that's an understatement. It certainly has. And again, depending on the, the industry, uh, depending on the size of the company, and depending on the needs of the individuals involved in those companies, uh, the, those changes have been either somewhat kind of uh, hunkering down and just waiting for the bad times to pass, or it's, as I mentioned before, I have seen a what I'm going to say an anticipation of uh, more positive times and trying to position themselves in advance of those times. Okay. Steve, what type of industries or companies have you worked for in the past, uh, represented in the past? Well, having done this as long as I've done this, uh, I've had actually some very nice opportunities uh, to, to have a nice variety. I, I would say I've had quite a bit in the medical field. I've represented a number of doctors and, and practice groups. I've represented dentists and, and, their, and their groups as well. Outside of the medical field, I've had quite a bit of experience with um, high-tech although that's never been my emphasis, but being in Silicon Valley, as long as I've been there, as I say, it, you can't avoid it. So I've had quite a few of the, um, let's start in the garage and see what happens. Uh, I've done quite a bit of software companies. I've done some distribution companies and a few manufacturers as well uh, with a smattering of agricultural, believe it or not, uh, tossed in. Remember, Santa Clara County used to be a very heavy um, uh, agricultural area, and although it's pretty well um, established now in terms of development, there's still a lot of opportunity in that area as well. What type of services do you offer to these companies? For instance, the high-tech company companies, what, what type of services would they come to you for? Well, they would come to my firm for a variety of services. Uh, we can set up all of their employment practices, including employment manuals, which are required we can give them their sexual harassment training, which is required for any company with more than 50 employees. Um, and we can help them with either severance packages, golden parachutes for some of their executives. And we can set up their stock option plans and some of their incentive plans for the benefits of their key employees. Uh, we can also assist them in, in drafting their contracts either with vendors or customers or their distribution um, contracts as well. So quite a bit of services there. I, I don't, we. I don't like the term full service because I think that's slightly misleading, but there's very few things we don't do in that area. You're right. Excellent. I think the additional perspective that Steve shares is he's also the managing partner of that of that firm. I am the managing partner of Hoke Fenton, yeah. Well, let me ask, how did you get into the role of managing partner? Because I, you know, it, it, it shares the perspective of not only being a business advisor, but, but you're also managing a company yourself. It, it's been an interesting um, evolution as far as how I got into the role. I never really sought out the leadership of the firm, but because I have a fairly solid business background, because I've done quite a bit of the work on myself that I, I, I counsel my clients on, uh, my partners felt I might be a, a natural fit, and I, they, 
this is my third year, and I entered in 09, which was, as you know, a pretty tumultuous year. Uh, so we had a few challenges, to put it mildly. And having been um, leading my own small firm prior to joining Hogue, it gave me kind of a, a leg up in terms of experience and opportunity to address these issues. So when the opportunity arose and they asked me, would I be interested? Sure. So I've been doing it for three years. You know, you, you made the comment of having run your own uh, family business or being part of a small business itself prior to joining Hogue. Uh, so, so you made a transition from a smaller firm to a much larger. First of all, can you can you differentiate? Give us some perspective of what that has been like. Certainly, um, I had the pleasure, uh, more than pleasure. It was just an, a real privilege, and I don't know how many can say this. Where I was actually partners with my father for 23 years. Uh, we had a small firm in San Jose called Signer and Signer. Um, my dad, obviously, being much older and, and a much more seasoned practitioner, his focus was on the actual practice of law, and he turned a lot of the administration of the office and, and the business side of it, if you will, over to me. Uh, some of it was learn as you go, I admit, but I, I had a, a, a kind of a um, fail-safe with my dad as a backup for me. But I was able to, to learn kind of uh, as I move forward how to run a business on a day-to-day -day basis, understanding overheads, understanding margins, just costs, income, cash flow, receivables, these sorts of things all play into a successful business enterprise. Uh, when I moved over to Hogue, moving from a, a firm of five to a firm of, at the time it was 45, um, it, it was a, a major transition. Of course, I didn't start in, in any of the management of the firm when I first joined. I kind of went up through the ranks uh, a bit and having an opportunity after being there for six years then to get into management and then lead the firm. It's been a, a very interesting evolution, but the solid background I had running a smaller operation and, and knowing on a day-to-day -day basis without necessarily delegating some of the tasks I think gave me wonderful experience and a wonderful opportunity to kind of move into this area without too much difficulty. Yeah, I imagine your clients appreciate the perspective, too, as small business owners of coming to an attorney who not only is advising them from a business standpoint, but has that personal experience of running a, uh, a, you know, a, a business themselves. One of the things I, I like to say that I bring, and, and I, I don't think it's false modesty when I say that bring some nice um, practical experience. So when clients mm -hmm. present issues to me, I can evaluate them from a practical standpoint, not just a purely legal standpoint, because I've done a lot of what they're doing themselves on a personal level, and I think that helps. So right now, are you observing a increase or decline in the business when you're mixing with managing partner versus you know, doing the, the consulting? How busy are you getting right now? Well, it's been a, a challenge. Uh, it's a juggling act right now. I, I'm very busy. Uh, luckily, I have a very strong business department in my firm, and I'm able to hand off some of the work that I would otherwise do. I have to prioritize. I think any businessman has to prioritize. And running the firm right now, especially in these economic times, requires uh, – that is my first priority. But having a good stable of clients for over 30 years, I must make sure that their needs are met and I do it to the extent I can, but I for primarily am allowing my staff and my partners to help me out. Yeah, it's the joy of running a, a a business in the form of a partnership that you do have others that can help to leverage. Exactly. 
So, well, Steve, this has been great. Um, we've uh, enjoyed getting some history of the Valley, history of Hoke Fenton, and you personally. And um, we have uh, other questions we'd like to have you you come stay with us as we go through State of the Valley. This is Alan Olson. I'm visiting here today with uh, Steve Siner, of managing partner of Hope Benton. We'll be back after this short message. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. And this is Nadine Camera. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? So we're here today. Welcome back. We're here today visiting with Steve Siner. He's the managing partner of Hope Benton. Now, Steve, I understand that you're working with clients in various industries, uh, individuals and businesses, on a daily basis. Let's get into the topic of a succession planning. Succession planning meaning that when you have one generation transferring the wealth to another. So, and in this case, we're talking about dad to the kids or to the grandkids. How important do you feel it is for a business to have a succession plan? Well, without a succession plan, as far as I'm concerned, you're kind of a I'll, I'll use the expression, you're a, rudder, a rudderless ship. You don't have a direction. You're just kind of uh, going whichever way the tide happens to uh, take you. The waves might tip you over. They may not. If you have a succession plan, you have a direction. You have a rudder. Uh, how you come up with one, when you come up with one, what that one is, of course, that ha- that varies every single time. There's no cookie-cutter answer to a succession plan. There's so many variables one of the challenges for me as an attorney, uh, and actually one of the joys in this area, is trying to come up with that plan and have it tailored to that family or that company and make sure it works. And you have to be fairly long-sighted in your analysis. It's that crystal ball mentality, which is obviously difficult because there's so many variables that can affect how it's all going to play out. But if you do your job right, if you study the the situation carefully and project, I think, conservatively yet reasonably, you're going to find that by by the time the family is ready to move either to the next generation or the next level of their business, that they're going to be in much better shape than if they hadn't done all this planning. Steve, when do you suggest uh, someone should come to your firm to start succession planning? Should it be when they start their business initially? Or should they wait, you know, five years, 10 years before they plan to transition out of the business? That's a good question. And and I give you a good lawyer-like answer. It depends. But <laughs> the, the, um, the like with most things, I think sooner rather than later makes sense because at least you can have the preliminary steps in place. You can get yourself positioned so that later on you're able to make better decisions based on a track record. However, and and to be realistic about this, and this is more the practical side as opposed to the theoretical side, realistically, you may need to have uh, some history. You may need to be able to have a track record of your own regardless of what your plan is so that now you have something to work with. If you start five years before you think it's time, uh, you're running close to, in my opinion, an average of when one should start that process because a succession plan properly implemented is numerous phases. It's not just snap your fingers and it's done. You have to not only lay the groundwork, but you have to implement it step by step. 
five years is a reasonable window, 10 years is a better one. You know, it's interesting. I, I have personal experience with going through a succession plan at our firm. Um, a few years back, we had a, a managing partner that went to uh, Hawaii on vacation with his family. And while he was there, he was out swimming in the ocean, had a heart attack, and, and passed away unexpectedly. So, you know, we get the phone call that uh, our, our managing partner who had just gone on a short week in vacation wasn't coming back. And suddenly the realization came back to, what do we do? And first thing we looked at is, gosh, I hope we did something in a partnership agreement for this. And and uh, I, I'm sure that we need to get the uh, the right amount paid out. And and I, I can give the, the testimony of how important that legal document was for the uh, for the surviving spouse and, and family and, and also for the business as a whole so that we would not be strained in uh, in, in trying to execute on you know a proper uh, succession plan fortunately we had insurance you know which which helped uh, they helped us to cover some of the the costs are associated with buying out the interest but also um, you know, we were able to accommodate in our partnership agreement the plan to help with the surviving spouse to make sure that they had adequately uh, been provided for and living costs for a period of time while they transitioned into their their, their life there. So in my, my situation, it did not specifically deal with, um, you know, the high net worth individuals. We're not, you know, the, 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 you know, the, if, if, a great sized officer business, but but um, let, let's talk about when you get into high net worth individuals and individuals that have substantial amounts of net worth. Steve, does it does it get complex? Again, an understatement. Um, high net worth individuals raise so many interesting issues and questions and and challenges um, that again, it's an area that I find intriguing because of the complexity. You have a few different layers, not just the dollars and cents in somebody's balance sheet. That's obviously one important factor. But you have the notion of, I created this. I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. I built this business up, and I would like to pass on a legacy to my, my children. But by doing so, I don't want to turn them into spoiled kids who are just waiting for a handout and taking advantage of everything that I did. Rather, I want to make sure that they're able to stand up on their own, that they're able to care and treat themselves and and be good contributors to society and not just rely on an inheritance that they're going to get from me. Those are somewhat conflicting ways of looking at the same problem, and it creates an interesting challenge because you have to be able to deal with the emotional and psychological overtones and Lawyers aren't really trained to do those things, but with experience, you have to do those things. Uh, again, you don't want to just do the ivory tower, well, this person has X dollars, therefore you have a Y solution. It varies depending on family, depending on the values of that family. And as an attorney, you have to, rather than impose your values on what you think is right for the client, you have to ask the client what his or her values are and then implement a plan that accommodates those values. You know, it's interesting. I recently did an article for Forbes magazine on succession planning, and the title of the article was Parents to Children Drop Dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It it explains that, you know, oftentimes the the kids are there with their handouts saying, 
you know, you know, mom, dad, why do we wait? Need to wait for you to die? Give us the money now. We we feel that there's a there's an entitlement there, and the parents in the meantime are trying to live their life out, and so it it really gets to be, in my experience, a sticky situation. So someone coming to you, let's say that they have an estate worth ten, fifteen million, that that they're going to be in a taxable bracket for a state estate planning where would you start do you have a process that you walk them through what i try to what i try to do is get them to prioritize to me their goals there's obviously multiple goals you want to make sure your assets go where you want them to go uh you want to try to avoid probate if you possibly can or avoid entanglements or delays in getting the assets transferred um you want to make sure that you can either minimize tax or eliminate tax if you can and then you want to make sure that when you do pass on the uh, assets to your heirs, you do so in a way that you achieve what you've set out to do and exactly what you said a minute ago, which is don't just have your hand out. You must be able to sustain yourself, and this, I hope, will help. So once I find out what the goals are, how they're prioritized, then I can craft a plan around those goals. you suggest they have a team of advisors? I think team is critical, and I don't think, because of the complexities, I don't think any one person, uh, no matter how skilled or how experienced, has the ability to deal with all of those issues. Uh, team is the key word, too, uh, because when I like to work with teams, whether they're CPAs, financial advisors, um, insurance people, you name it, uh, and someone has to be the quarterback, it's not always the lawyer, so you need to be able to adjust to the team, work within the confines of the team, and work as a complementary as opposed to competitive basis. Works extremely well if you've got the right team. Great summary there. Well, I can tell you that uh, the better planned an individual is, that uh, the easier the transition will go. Going going through that. This is Alan Olson. I'm visiting here today with Steve Siner. He's a managing partner of Pope Fenton. We'll be right back after the short messages. Welcome back. This is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success. We've been visiting today with Steve Siner, the managing partner of Hope Fenton. So, Steve, we talked about family offices. We've talked about succession planning. A tax tip that uh, high net worth individuals should keep in mind is the estate tax law currently allows a $5 million exemption for individuals uh, within the next few years. And um, I, th- I think that it's, it's this year and the following year. That's right. Am I correct That's on that? That's all it is, correct. Okay. And then after that, they, they pay tax. Right. Okay. So um, this provision will end in 2012. Um, is there anything that you would suggest for individuals to do now to take advantage of this provision while it lasts? The short answer is yes. And, and, and I'd like to talk about this one because in all the years that I have been doing state planning, tax planning, wealth planning. There has never, repeat, never been a tax law like we have right now. Um, By way of example, uh, there was a big jump in the law when George Bush came in in 2001, and they raised the exemption up to $1 million. We're now five times that, and it's an opportunity that I think is unprecedented in the history of the U.S. and is probably going to be gone in now a little over a year. The other thing to keep in mind when we talk about this exemption is, remember, it, we, what we have, it's called the unified credit, which means it's for gifts and estate tax. So you have a $5 million exemption per person 
for your lifetime for gifting as well. So you don't have to wait for death to then have the first $5 million of your estate be tax-free. With this opportunity of having such a high exemption amount for gifting, one of the strategies, it's not just me that's recommending it, I think most in my industry do, is to try to maximize your ability to take advantage of this while you can. It's almost half gone already. This started in 2011, January. It's going to expire December 31st, 2012. We're now in the middle of October, and so we only have a little over a year. As I've mentioned before, a lot of other things take time. So does getting a proper gifting strategy in place. So as a general proposition, I urge my high net worth clients to look at opportunities for lifetime gifting. And don't forget the $5 million is per person, so that means a married couple has $10 million that they can give away. And we have what's called an annual exemption, which means you can give away roughly $13,000 per person per year, and that doesn't even count against your lifetime exemption. So gifting, as a general rule, is an excellent strategy at this time. So it's it's like uh, the IRS is currently under the direction of Congress having a sale. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> they have a, they're giving you two years to transfer up to $5 million per individual if you haven't already used this unified credit. Basically, for the, for the listeners out there, you know, the, what, what this is saying is that, uh, you know, the unified credit basically is an exclusion of value from the estate. When you die, you pay tax based on the amount of assets that you have as of the date of death. And so the IRS is saying that if you have $5 million or less, you can transfer that to another person during your lifetime and not have any gift tax or on, on that transaction. Basically, move the assets out of your estate. So it's per husband and $5 million per wife, so up to $10 million. Exactly right. Excellent. I have a question just quickly. After 2012... How much does it go down to? Does it go down to zero? So if those that have a $500,000 estate, or does it go down to $1 million? So those that have a, an estate over $1 million, what is the um, what will it transfer to after 2012? Under current law, as we sit here right now, starting January 1st, 2013, the exemption amount will drop to $1 million. So therefore, if you have an estate or a value of business, anything that is over $1 million, it behooves you to do some six, uh, estate tax planning uh, with, with an attorney. But it doesn't have to be a, a – it can be a house if you live in a $2 million home that's free and clear. Right. you got to pay – yeah. Estate. What about you, Alan? Um, there are some additional tax provisions that have upcoming here in the 2011 tax year. What are some tax planning tips that you suggest uh, for individuals to take advantage? Well, the Congress has, you know, in this day and age where we talk about uh, the taxing the rich and trying to get higher tax rates, which becomes a, a you know a political volleyball back and forth, back and forth. You know, the the, the reality is what we got in place. We got some extension of some of the Bush era tax cuts. That's where they extended the, the capital gain rates another year up to 2012. So January 1st of 2013, you know, we, we go to a different rate there. Um, that, that applies for both capital gains and dividends. The tax brackets had stayed low uh, with the to- top tax bracket back to uh, 35% uh, for this year and, and then 2012. And, and so we look at uh, in the area of tax planning to the extent that what we expect to see, we haven't seen yet, but we hear a lot of chatter right now on, in, in uh, Washington about the need to get higher tax rates coming. 
Um, so what they are, we don't exactly know, but we know that, there's, that the rich are continuing to be targeted to get higher tax rates, and depending on who gets elected in there will make a difference in you know how high they go. Uh, I think there's some candidates that are pushing for, for the lower rates per se. But if nothing else were to change, um, and, and these Bush tax cuts, the Bush-era tax cuts were to expire, uh, we'd see capital gain rates to return to about 20%. And then the, uh, the the dividend rate would go back into the ordinary income, same as same as interest. Um, we would also see in the um, in, in uh, the Medicare area that under the Health Care Act recently passed, that effective on January first of two thousand thirteen, there then comes into play. I think it's like a three three point nine percent Medicare tax on uh, wages that are health care tax and wages that are above and beyond. Um, individuals making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and and that's that's going to be substantial. So let's go back, Steve. Um, let's go back to the current year, though. How would how would that affect the businesses? Um, is there something that you could help with in in planning for those that go over two fifty? Because a lot of people over two hundred fifty thousand are small business owners, are they not? Certainly, it's a, there's a myriad of of options available and again it, it's going to take some planning you have to be extremely careful to make sure that there's a business purpose behind everything you do not just to try to avoid or evade tax uh, fortunately there are the opportunities are not limitless but they are significant uh, a lot of different types of entity formations assist in deferring income whether you form a corporation or a limited liability company as opposed to just a sole proprietorship affords you an opportunity to take today's dollars and put them in uh, tomorrow's basket and not have to pay tax at, at a present rate or at the very least to reduce your taxable income below a threshold that will enable you then to avoid these surcharges or additional taxes. So, Steve, if our listeners were to contact you for questions on succession planning in a similar manner, what is the best way for them to reach you? In, in today's electronic world, uh, email, uh, website, and telephone are all good. I'm pretty available since I don't go to court anymore. I'm, I'm uh, sitting at my desk. Uh, my personal email, which anyone is free to use, are my initials SDS, like Stephen David Siner, at hogefenton, H-O-G-E-F-E-N-T-O-N.com. Uh, our website, which has my biography as well as all the other attorneys and a little history of our firm and some interesting uh, examples of some of the things we've talked about today are actually on our website as just value adds for anyone who'd care to visit it. Our website is www.hogfenton.com. Very, very original, but it works. And uh, I have a, my phone number in Pleasanton is 925-224-7780. And in San Jose, it's 408-287-9501. Steve, spell out your website once again for us www.hogefenton, which is H-O-G-E-F as in Frank, E-N-T-O-N.com. Thank you. Do you have any good war stories of uh, state planning gone awry or, or uh, something that, uh, you know, a person came to you after the fact where you said, gosh, I wish they would have come and talked to me in advance? I have a story that it doesn't involve a huge estate, but to me it points out where uh, the proverbial self-help uh, turned out to be a shot not in the foot but in a more vulnerable spot. I had a couple that decided that they were going to do their own estate plan 
and they they found a um, it was a combination of an online program, but they also got their own DV uh, excuse me CD-ROM, and they in, they put it together as one of these forms that check boxes. They checked all these boxes that that sounded like they made sense, and it was a beautiful document when they assembled it. Unfortunately, they did not check a box that dictated what happened when they died. They disinherited kids. They were able to, to have a good tax avoidance. However, they did not have a distribution plan. So their $49.99 uh, estate plan turned into about a $120,000 probate. Well, wow. what happens? So so you got a probate cost, but where does the money go? If, if, if you didn't have a will or you didn't have a direction to inheritance... Who determines that? The costs for probate are established by a statute, and the, the majority of the costs are split between the attorney and the executor. There's other costs that are attendant to it with filing fees and probate referees, but 90-plus percent of the numbers are for attorney's fees and for uh, executor's fees. And the thing about probate that makes it even worse is that the fees are based on a gross estate, not a net. So if you own a $2 million home, and you have a $1.9 million mortgage, and that home has to go into probate, you're going to be paying probate fees on $2 million, not 100000 Wow. Wow. So that really spells the need to have a good uh, plan in place and do the planning during your lifetime so that it's not up to the courts really to decide. Reminds me, remember those old Fram Oil commercials? You can pay me now or you can pay me later. Uh, and I think that, that points out the pay me now, which is a fraction of what the pay me later would be good point there. We've been visiting here with uh, Steve Siner. Steve, thanks for joining the show. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This is Alan Olson's American Dreams, the key to life success. We'll be back with more information after this short break. This is Alan Olson's American Dreams, the key to life success. We've just heard from Steve Siner, the managing partner of Hope Fenton Jones and Appel. Yes, Alan, we were talking about some tax planning, especially with the year-end fast approaching. What are some of the things you think individuals should be aware of in the upcoming year? You know, that's an interesting question. We often get people calling our office, and and we're a CPA firm. Uh, I got a a great website out there at uh, grocogroco.com. We're one of the top in the nation. Um, I get roughly about 3,000 visitors a day visiting our site and uh, has all sorts of good tax planning ideas and strategies. And so they'll come to us saying, you know, can you tell me what I need to do uh, before the year end? How can I best plan? And uh, tax planning is is only part of a financial plan. You know, basically what what we're focused in on on is preserving wealth. We can tell people how to save tax, but at the same time, I tell them never make an investment decision or never make your decision based predominantly on how much tax you'll save uh, because ultimately in the end you may be saving you know two dollars to save fifty cents and uh, that's a dollar fifty going out the door that you didn't necessarily have to spend right right so let's take let's take through the process a person comes to us and says okay uh, and, and typically what their process is, is um, they're coming to a CPA firm. So the first question I ask them, as I said, have you ever been to a CPA before? And, uh, and, and then a follow-up question is, what was your experience if you have? 
And so we try to identify the, the, the likes and the dislikes, um, We what was working for them versus what. If they've never been to a CPA firm before, we kind of give them a, a crash course. Is this is what a CPA does. And um, in saving tax or doing the, the, the right approach to tax planning, you're either looking at some type of a, a deferral of income, acceleration of expense, or you're looking at some type of a permanent exclusion of an income item, or there may be some special tax incentive or tax credit uh, that's out there. And so we'll assess where they're at in their situation and whether or not we can give assistance to them. So you know, I'll give you a couple ideas out there. Now, for the, the, the person that's busy with their career or the entrepreneur who uh, is out there making money, they're not necessarily focused on everything happening in the tax law. They may pick up bits and pieces here, but chances are if they come to us, there's some added value that we can identify, something that they weren't aware of. And one of the really sweet provisions that was passed in September of 2010 is called the Qualified Small Business Stock Exclusion. That says that if you started up a new business and uh, in issued stock in a C corporation and your plan is to take this stock and, and leverage it out and make it take it IPO or, or do something where you have a lot of value there, if you uh, hold that stock for five years and it stays as a qualified small business stock, meaning that you cannot necessarily have you know more than uh, ten million dollars of of, uh, of 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 gain into this and the the total capitalization has to be fifty million or less when you go to sell the stock, then a hundred percent of any gain on that transaction will be excluded from income permanently. Wow. Now, uh, how do businesses take advantage of this? Well, usually it's individuals. So let's say let's say that you had someone with Facebook early on, and and, and the guy comes to you and, uh, and and they say, I had this stock when I invested in Facebook, or my stock was issued to me. The the shares were the whole company was worth less than fifty million dollars. Then, um, and, and and if they have ten million dollars in in appreciated stock or capital gain, a hundred percent of that's that capital gain will be excluded. Now, and, can and, but, but let me back up. Facebook is not an example. The stock has to be issued after September of 2010. Ten. Yeah. And and this provision goes forward 2011, 2012. And that, that's it. That's it. Oh, it stops in 2012? Well, put the, the current provision in there. It expires 2013, then reverse. But, but to know more about this, you can visit our website at uh, groco.com. GROCO.com. Learn more about the small business stock exclusion. It's a powerful exclusion for those people out in Silicon Valley, entrepreneurs starting their own companies. Great. Well, Dane it's a pleasure been having you here on the show today on America Dreams. Thank you, Alan. It was a pleasure being here. And so this is Alan Olson's America Dreams, the keys to life success, where we talk about how to live the life that you want to live. What are your dreams? What do you want out of life? And what defines success? <laughs> 